You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. We are going to be finishing our sermon series uh, this morning that we've entitled The Way. And though we're going to be finishing the series, our hope is that the series will not be finished with us. Our hope is that it will continue to work uh, in us and through us, that we will take what we have learned and continue to apply it to our life in the weeks and months and years to come as a church. And just to, to recap, in case it is your first time or in case you've forgotten, what we have discovered in the series is that to be a disciple of Jesus is to reorient our lives around three goals. And I'm going to put those on the screen for you again. And I'm going to ask it one more time uh, that we'll say them together and say, uh, and so uh, goal number one of a disciple is, let's say it together, to be with Jesus. Goal number two, to become like Jesus. And goal number three, to do what Jesus did. And over the last several weeks, we have focused specifically on how do we actually become like Jesus? How do we actually change. And what we've been saying is that even if you have no intentions of changing, even if you have no intentions of being transformed, if you wake up tomorrow, uh, you're still waking up as a disciple to someone or something. And so the question is not, am I becoming like someone or something? But a better question is who or what are you becoming like? And so I'm going to put a uh, paradigm on the screen for you. This is what we call the unintentional spiritual formation paradigm. And, and here's what we um, mean by this little graphic is tomorrow morning when you wake up, you need to realize, and even throughout the day, there are stories that you believe about why you are here, about what your purpose is, about who you are and what your cause for being alive really is, right? And that shapes you. There are also habits that we have formed, some for good, some are bad. And because every time we do something, it does something back to us, it shapes us. And then we all have relationships, for better or for worse, with people, right, that influence us and help shape us. And of course, we work in a certain environment, we live in an environment, right, that also uh, begins to change us. So these are things that are impacting our lives, whether you realize it or not. And what we have said is our hope is that we will go from unintentionally being shaped by the world to look like the world, to intentionally being shaped by Jesus to look like Jesus. And so if we go to the next slide, what we have said is if we want to be disciples of Jesus that are looking more like Jesus, we need to make sure that we are sitting under gospel-centered teaching. We need to be reminded of the story of God and let the story of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ and, and how that shapes who we are and how we live, we need to let that story shape every bit of our life. We also need to make sure that we are putting into practice the ways of Jesus. As we have said over and over, we cannot be like Jesus if we do not adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And so the things we see him doing, fasting and praying, silence and solitude, all that we need to put into practice. And then, of course, we need to be plugged into community. Change does not happen in isolation. We need Christ-centered community, other disciples whom we can lock arms with, who can help us in our journey in practicing the way of Jesus. And we've talked all about that through this series. And then today, as we end, we're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in our transformation. And so um, to do that, let's pick up 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll read verse 17 and verse 18. Paul says, verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this, Paul says, comes from the Lord 
who is in the Spirit. Let's pray together one more time. Father, thank you for being here with us. I pray that now, through your Spirit, you will help us to be with you. I pray that you will take this message that could just seem like a guy up here talking about a bunch of stuff and that you will actually make it alive in our hearts. Help us to believe that what we will talk about today is not only true news, but it is good news. It is the news we all need desperately today to be transformed more into your image. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So recently, my son Wyatt has taken an interest in cooking. Uh, some of his favorite books to look at are cookbooks. Some of his favorite shows to watch are cooking shows. His favorite restaurant in Paragold right now is the Waffle House because he can watch people cook his food in front of him. And so I also have a big interest in cooking. And so one of the things that we do to bond together as a father and son is every morning before I will take my daughter, Nora Kate, to school, uh, I'll cook breakfast with Wyatt and for Wyatt. And so whether that be scrambled eggs or uh, peanut butter, still cut oatmeal, whatever it is, he'll come in and he'll help me make breakfast. And if you asked Wyatt, like, hey, who made these eggs or who made this oatmeal? He'll say, well, I did. Right? I made it. And it's wonderful. And he'll brag about how good it is. But the reality is, when it comes to cooking breakfast, though Wyatt has a small role to play, right? Like I'll let him get a scoop of the peanut butter or I'll let him maybe grab the salt and pepper for me. He has a small role to play. The, the truth is, I have a much larger role to play. You see, my son, when it comes to cooking, no matter how hard he tries, no matter how much effort he puts into it, he cannot, in his own power, because he is not even four years old yet, he cannot take these raw ingredients and transform them into something good. In fact, no matter how hard he tries, the reality is, apart from me, when it comes to cooking, he can do nothing. And the reason I share that is because when it comes to our spiritual formation, the exact same thing is true. Jesus says in John 15, 5, which we read earlier in the series, but we'll look at again. He says in John 15, 5, that if you abide in me, right? And we talked about the way we abide in Jesus is through the Holy Spirit. If you abide in me, he says, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, look at this confidence booster. You can do nothing. You can do nothing. It's important that we get this today because... It does not matter how passionate you are about becoming like Jesus. It does not matter how hard you want to transform. It does not matter how much strength you have or how much background you have in the church. When it comes to our spiritual formation, when it comes to us being conformed more in the image of Jesus, what you have to get today is that willpower alone is not going to be enough to get you there. The truth is there are some things in our lives that we can change as the result of just our own willpower. For example, um, for those of you in here that have made a commitment, or if you want to make a commitment to live a healthy life, you're like, man, I want to eat healthy, and I want to start exercising. You know what? In your own power, you really can do that. You really can. You can go and get a gym membership, all right? You can decide that I'm going to go to Anytime Fitness or, or a, a, another gym in town, whatever. And if you decide, hey, like me, I, I got a gym membership at, at any time. If you're like, hey, I want to go and I want to work out there, you can make a decision. Even when you walk past Batten's and you smell those freshly baked donuts, in that moment, though, you may have a desire of, hey, man, I want that Bavarian field long john or that fried chocolate pie. You can make a decision. You know what? Because I don't want to feel like I just poured cement in my stomach. Because I actually want to be healthy, you can have enough willpower to walk past Batons and into the gym and make a decision that is for your good. Right? You can do that. But here's the problem when it comes to willpower. We all have a limited supply of it. 
In fact, for most of us, that supply runs out by about 9 a.m., right? Which is why, for those of you who are trying to eat healthier, you know it's way easier to eat healthy in the mornings than it is at lunch. I mean, every morning I drink this vegan protein shake. It's filled with all these supplements. It's no problem for me to wake up and do that every morning. I had it again this morning. But by lunch, ask Adam or Luke. I'm wanting to crush like two baskets of chips from Don Jose, right? Or, or, or Casa Brava or any other Mexican restaurant. I'm not biased towards any of them, right? Like, I, I just love this stuff, man. The reason that is is because, listen, the longer we go throughout the day, the less willpower we find that we typically have. And the less willpower we have, the more likely we are to make bad decisions in our life. That's why for most of us in here, the the things that we regret the most happen past 9 p.m. Can I get an amen from anybody other than me, right? So um, willpower is great, right? Pulling up strength, kind of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. Like, that's all great, and I love that. But here's the deal. If you really want to follow after Jesus and you really want to be conformed more into his image from the inside out, willpower alone will not be enough to get you there. If Christianity is just about you showing up here each week and just hearing me give a talk or reading the Bible or maybe uh, serving in fellowship kids once a month, as great as that all is, the truth is you can do that in your own power. You really can. But when it comes to some of the big stuff, when it comes to like learning how to be patient with your spouse when you've had a bad day, When it comes to learning how to be joy-filled, even when everything else is falling apart. When it comes to things like sharing your faith with a coworker or dealing with some of the stuff that's ingrained in your past that we've been talking about in the Enneagram reports. For that kind of stuff, listen, willpower alone does not stand a chance. Not saying that whenever it comes to our spiritual formation that we are just to let go and let God. That would go against everything that we said so far up to this point. But listen, what you need to see today is that when it comes to your crippling anxiety, when it comes to your deep-seated bitterness, when it comes to your spiritual apathy, when it comes to feelings of shame and, and guilt, when it comes to addictions or eating disorders or the big stuff at life, we all know that we need a power that is beyond us to change. And that is why we need the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you look again in verse 17, Paul says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. Usually whenever Paul is referring to the Lord, he's referring to Jesus. But here he says, The Lord is the Spirit. And look at this great news. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's freedom. Some of you in here today, maybe you walked in here feeling like you were in bondage to something. Something from your past, some sort of addiction, uh, some sort of feeling or emotion. Maybe for some of you, you've walked in here believing the lie that because your mom is this way or your dad is that way, you have to be this certain way. But what Paul says today, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now the question is, who... Or what is the Spirit? We all come in here from different backgrounds, different denominations. We've all seen at times maybe even abuses in the name of the Spirit. And some of you, even as a result, maybe you kind of grew up in a theology kind of like mine, thinking the Trinity is the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible, right? The the, the Holy Spirit's kind of the bastard child of the Trinity. It's like, I know what to do with the Father. I know what to do with the Son. But the Spirit, you're like, hey, I'm not really sure. He's kind of like that crazy uncle that you're like, I don't really want to be around him, but he's a relative. And so like, I need to be around him. Like, so we don't know, like, who or what is the Spirit? 
And really the most simple definition I can give you is this. The Holy Spirit is simply the empowering presence of God. The Holy Spirit is the empowering presence of God. Now, what I want you to see in this definition is this. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. And he is God. The Holy Spirit is not some force that you yield. But rather the Holy Spirit is a person that you actually have a relationship with. And when you learn to walk in relationship, not with it, but with him, Paul says you can be freed up to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. Now, isn't that great news? He goes on to say this in verse 18. And we all. Notice, we're going to circle that word all. He doesn't say, and we pastors, or we varsity Christians, or we missionaries in the, in the deep jungles throughout the world. No, we all who have trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We all with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed now into the same image, I'm about the same image of Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. Now you read this and you might just be like, eh, kind of a neat verse. Don't really know what it means, but yeah, it's kind of cool. When the early church would have read this or heard this, it would have blown their minds. Because for them, they would have remembered back in Exodus 34, where the only person who could behold the glory of the Lord was Moses. The only one who could experience God's presence would be their leader, Moses. And so he would go up on Mount Sinai on behalf of the people. And there, when he would step into the presence of God, literally Moses would be transformed. I mean, his face literally would begin to shine like a mag light. Like it looked like this LED light where he would come down from the mountain, read about in Exodus 34, that people would say to Moses, you got to put a veil over your face, bro, because we can't even look into you. And so he'd put a veil over his face, but then when he wanted to go back and be in the presence of God, he would remove the veil and he would again behold the glory of the Lord and all over again be transformed. And here's the good news. Paul said, if you have trusted in Christ, this can now be true of you. You can know that the veil has been removed and you can have complete, unhindered, full access into the presence of God through his Holy Spirit. And as you learn to dwell in God's presence, to not just be here, but to also be in the presence of God, to walk in step with him, he says you will be transformed. The word for transform there we've talked about before is the Greek word metamorpho, which is where we get our English word metamorphosis. It's literally the word we use to talk about a caterpillar changing over into a butterfly. And what Paul is saying is that same kind of radical transformation you see in nature, it can happen actually in your spiritual nature. It can begin to happen in you from the inside out because of the Holy Spirit and his role in your life. So like Gordon Fee says this, and I'll put it on the screen for you. Gordon Fee is one of the top Pentecostal theologians in the world. He says, through Christ and by the Spirit, we are being transformed so as to bear the likeness for which we were intended at the beginning. Therefore, look at this. Therefore, one takes the Spirit lightly at great risk. For herein lies the glory that by the Spirit, we not only come to know God, but can come to live in His presence in such a way as constantly to be renewed into God's image. 
In other words, what Gordon Fee is saying, what the Apostle Paul is saying, what Jesus says in John fifteen five is if you downplay the role of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you shrug off how important he is, if you take for granted the role of the Spirit in your transformation, you will actually never be transformed. You will never realize your full potential. You will never become more like the man or the woman that God has created you to be. Guys, we have to get this today. Because you can show up here every single Sunday and hear preaching and listen to music and fellowship with others, which is all great and needed. But if you do it apart from the Holy Spirit, it's all in vain. Nothing's going to happen. I do not have enough power to preach a good enough message to transform you. The band cannot play well enough to change your life. Only the Holy Spirit can transform you from the inside out. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, if you want you can turn with me, if not I'll put it on the screen for you. Galatians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul says this in verse 22 through 25. The fruit of the Spirit. And notice he doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. Singular. The fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is there anybody here that's like, no, I don't want that life. Whether you're a disciple of Jesus or not, we all want that life. A life marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says, against such things there is no law. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I grew up my whole life reading that verse and thinking it was like a command from Paul to say, have more peace, be more joyful, have more faith, be more self-controlled. But what you need to understand is Paul's not commanding you to do any of that. In fact, there's only one command in this little passage here, and where is it? It's in verse 25. What does Paul command you to do? To walk in step with the Spirit. And as you walk in step with the Spirit, what happens? you begin to experience the fruit of the Spirit. A byproduct of walking in the Spirit is experiencing the love and the joy and the peace and all of these things. Okay, so the question then becomes, how do we walk in the Spirit? How do we do that? And I spent a lot of time on this in the second sermon of this series. Uh, You can go back and listen to the the sermon entitled, Be With Jesus. But in short, listen, the, the way you learn to walk in step with the Spirit is through the spiritual disciplines. There is no shortcut. The way that you learn to walk in step with the Spirit is through things like prayer, reading your Bible, confession, repentance, fasting, silence, solitude, all of these things. These are given to us by God and are time-tested, proven disciplines that help open us up to experiencing more of the Spirit in our lives so that we can be changed. That is why Dallas Willard, who we might as well have said this whole series is brought to you by Dallas Willard. I don't quote him every single week. He says this. The disciplines are activities of mind and body purposely undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. I love that line. 
They enable us more and more to live in a power that is strictly speaking beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself as we learn to yield ourselves to God. Translation, here's what he just said. If you want to engage with the Spirit, if you want to walk in the Spirit, you must engage in the spiritual disciplines. And as you are opening yourself up to the disciplines, you will open yourself up to the Spirit, not only whenever you're in the Scripture, not only whenever you're spending the time of the silence, and not only whenever you're fasting, but you will learn to keep in step with Him throughout your entire life, which then will result in you being transformed. Transformation is possible through the power of the Spirit. But here's what you got to see. Uh, Ryan, can we put the uh, spiritual formation paradigm back on there? We cannot forget this bottom piece. Spiritual formation is possible, but it happens over time. And that is because when the Holy Spirit transforms you, he uses, he does it in two ways. He does it through what we call breakthrough moments and through what we call process moments. The breakthrough moments are those rare, out-of-nowhere moments where God basically accelerates your transformation. This happens. Usually transformation takes a long time. It's a long, hard, slow process. But there are breakthrough moments where literally the Spirit will touch you in such a way that you leap in your growth, not from A to Z, but at least from like maybe A to D or A to E, Right? There's times where literally Jesus will do this through his spirit. He will touch you in such a way, right, that you will begin to grow in such a way that normally what might, what might take, you know, months or years happens in an instance. Maybe at a prayer meeting or when you're driving on the road and you're listening to a song, right, you can be transformed in a moment. I think about the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. He's heading to go persecute Christians. And immediately, right, he meets Jesus, he has a breakthrough moment, and he's transformed from what? A terrorist into a missionary. That's a breakthrough moment. I think about my own testimony, which I've shared with y'all many times, where there was a girl, I was 20 years old, who I worshipped. All of my affections, all of my energy, all of my time, all of my passion was set on her. I built my whole life around her. And then Jesus, when I'm 20 years old, right, he meets me in my bedroom, and he transforms me immediately. I mean, I mean, in a second, he took all of my affections, all of my energy, and all of my passion that was set on this one girl, and he set it all on himself to the point to where in a moment, I was delivered in a miraculous way where I went from literally saying, I have to have her to live, to I don't need her, I don't even think I need any other woman, as long as I have God, he is enough. And it happened like that. That's what we call a breakthrough moment. So breakthrough moments are beautiful. But here's the problem. Breakthrough moments are rare. And I don't know why this is. Partly, I think it's because we have little faith. Partly, it's because I think that we quench the Holy Spirit by being cool with the little sins. Partly, I think it's because we're too busy to, 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 to actually slow down and spend time in the Scripture or to pray. But partly, and in big part, I think the reason breakthrough moments are rare is because the deep character Christ-like change that God wants to bring about in our lives through the Spirit often cannot happen in the breakthrough moments, but must happen in the process moments. Deep character change often has to take place in the crucible of everyday life through the unglamorous work of discipleship to Jesus, through the boring, mundane stuff of waking up tomorrow and reading through the book of Judges. Hope, is everybody still reading through the book of Judges? Hopefully, okay. It's through eating that meal each week with the same people in your missional community. 
It's through waking up tomorrow morning and saying, I'm, once again, I'm going to spend time in silence and solitude. It's by showing up here each week and saying, okay, I'm going to listen to Jared or Adam or whoever else preach again. I'm going to listen to the band, play the same songs. It is through the stuff that Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. Through the unglamorous work of death to self, through the spiritual disciplines, through repentance and confession over and over and over and over again, that we really begin to experience the deep character transformation that makes us more like Christ. And we know this is true. I mean, when you think about the breakthrough moments, typically these are stories about freedom or healing. You ever thought about that? I think about Randy's story, who when you had a breakthrough moment met Jesus, you went from being an alcoholic to never touching a drop of alcohol again. That's a breakthrough moment. It's a story of freedom. I think about uh, Hannah, who whenever she had a migraine several years ago and could not shake it, could not shake it, we prayed over her on the spot, bam, God heals her. It was a breakthrough moment tied to healing. Typically, stories of breakthrough are freedom and healing, and that's great. But rarely do you hear a breakthrough story where someone talks about this deep character change that took place as a result. I mean, rarely do you hear people say things like, you know what, man, I was this impatient jerk who treated my wife and my kids like crap, but then, you know what, I went to that prayer meeting and someone prayed that prayer, and bam, now I'm the most loving person you've ever met in your entire life. You don't hear that very often, do you? I don't know if I've ever heard that. You don't hear people say things like, you know, I was just this undisciplined, good-for-nothing, never worked, never cared about anybody but myself, but then I heard the song on the radio, or I heard the band play the Son of God song, and now I wake up every morning, I do CrossFit, I eat raw broccoli, all after I do my silence and my solitude, and I got a job as a stockbroker, and I give all my money away to start orphanages, right? You don't hear about those kind of stories very often. Why is that, right? And listen, I don't want to shrink your faith this morning, by the way. Breakthrough moments do happen. We should long for breakthrough moments. We should pray for breakthrough moments. But listen, it's only through the process moments that the Spirit typically uses that to conform us more into the image of Jesus. That is why Paul says, if you look again at verse 18 in Corinthians chapter 3, he says, notice, we are being transformed. Notice he doesn't say that whenever you commit to following Jesus, you are, bam, transformed on the spot. Now, sure, you are justified before God, and you stand before him now, perfectly innocent and forgiven, but you still have the flesh. You still have areas that need to be redeemed, that need to be restored. And so what Paul is saying here is whenever you come to Christ, when you choose to follow him, you are being transformed. In other words, it is a process. It takes time. And I never noticed this until this past week, but notice how much time it takes. He says in here, verse 18, we are being transformed, look at this, from one degree of glory to another. When you choose to follow after Jesus, you will be transformed. But look right at me. One degree at a time. Not 180 degrees, not 90 degrees, not even 10 degrees. But as you are gathering here regularly, as you are sitting under teaching, as you are seeking to practice the ways of Jesus, prayer and fasting and silence and solitude, as you are living in community rather than checking out of community, what happens? One degree at a time. One degree at a time, through the daily obedience to Jesus and the power of the Spirit, you will be conformed into His image. Guys, you have to get that today because if you don't, listen, you will never be consistent in practicing the way of Jesus. You just won't. 
You'll say, man, pastors made this big push about Bible project. I actually did that. I even read through Leviticus. I read through Leviticus. And my marriage is still a mess. Must not work. Man, I, I, Jared, you said every morning, you, you gave us the homework. I remember the beginning of the series, try silence and solitude, just 10 minutes every morning. So I crafted out my schedule. I made it work, 10 minutes. I did it for three weeks straight, and I'm still anxious. Doesn't work. Transformation, one degree at a time. One degree at a time. You can be transformed. But it takes time. Richard Plass is it like this. The truth about significant soul transformation is this. Change is possible, but it is often harder than we want and takes longer than we expect. Can I please get an amen from somebody? When it comes to your spiritual formation, there is no easy button you can push, no app you can download, or miracle grow that you can spread to make your life take off. Becoming like Jesus is a lifelong pursuit. And I know that is like, for some of you, like a huge turnoff, especially if you're part of the Amazon Prime generation, right? Or you can like order something today and get it tomorrow, even though like it's like, it was like in California or something. Like I don't know how that happens, but it's awesome. I ordered something last week, not on Amazon Prime. It took two days before I even got a notification. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? And then I finally get a notification and it's like, it'll be there in five to seven days. I'm like, five to seven days? Who has five to seven days, Right? It's like we want things right here, right now, instant gratification, or it's just like I'm done with it. But that is not the way discipleship to Jesus works. It takes time to be transformed. How much time? It depends in large part about how much time you want to put into your spiritual life, to be honest. I mean, some of you, quite honestly, you need to slow down if you're ever going to see your spiritual growth speed up. Okay, You have got to learn it takes time time. Not only that, if we can put the, uh, the little paradigm back on the screen, transformation through the power of the Spirit will happen over time, but it also happens through the hard knocks of life, as the great theologian Jay-Z once said. Ask anyone that you respect, ask anyone that you respect how they got to where they are. You look at any man that you're like, man, that's, that guy's like an old sage or He's just so much wisdom. There's so much peace in his life. Or, man, their marriage is just amazing. Or, wow, their walk with God is so incredible. You ask these people how they got there, nine times out of ten, they will not say, well, you know what? One time, Jared just preached a sermon. And that did it for me. I wish it was that way. I've never heard that. You could make that up if you wanted to and just tell people that. But that typically is not the way that it works. I'm still waiting to hear that one. Usually what they will tell you is if you say, man, how did you get to where you are? Let me just appear into your life. Like, here's what they will tell you. They will tell you stories of great suffering. They will. They'll say, well, you know what? Whenever uh, I was younger, I had a car wreck and I almost died. Or we lost our child. Or I was diagnosed with cancer. Or I lost my job. Or I went through this incredibly tough breakup. Or I was thrown in prison. Right? Typically what you will hear is stories of suffering that can form people more and more into the image of Jesus. And listen, I'm not saying today that if you want to be like Jesus, like go pursue pain. That'd be kind of sadistic, right? That's right. That's exactly right. Good word, Jackie. But here's the point. Here's what I just want to say. Listen, very, 
very often, the things that we hate the most are often the things we need the most to be made more like Jesus. We need to wrap our mind around that. I know that takes faith to believe that, but usually the very things that we avoid like the plague are the very things that often have the most potential to transform us more into the image of Christ. And I'm not going to talk any more about that because we're going to do a six-week series on suffering coming up in May and June. So mark your calendars for that. Everybody loves a good sermon series on suffering, right? Listen. Some of you are in the middle of suffering right now. And I don't want to make light of that. Some of you are right in the middle of hardship. And what I just want to encourage you to do is in the context of community, not to try to medicate yourself, not to try to numb the pain, but to begin to press into it with community and say, man, what is God wanting to do through this? And my promise to you, because it's a promise in Scripture, and we read about it earlier in the song that God works all things together for my good, my promise to you is when you will press into the pain with your eyes on Christ, he will meet you there, and he will transform you in a way that a sermon or a book or a podcast absolutely cannot transform you. So here's what I just want to say. I'm going to actually, for the sake of time, I'm going to end here. In light of all this series, the way, here's the way I just want to end. Discipleship to Jesus is a long, hard journey, but it's worth every step. I've really spent a lot of time thinking about this this past week. Because as I told you, I've been looking forward to this series since August of preaching this. Thinking, man, this is going to be so foundational and and has a chance to transform many lives in our church and the whole trajectory of Fellowship Paragold. I've been following Jesus now for 12 years. And in many ways, I feel like I would have to follow Jesus another 4,000 years to become like him. Anybody else there with me? Right? But in some ways, I look back at my life 12 years ago and now I say, man, Jesus has been doing it. Through his spirit, he's been doing it. He's been transforming me through time, over time, and through suffering. He's been transforming me more into his image. For example... Um, I've not been shy at all with sharing with you how sharing with you how I've grown up my whole life just this incredibly anxious person. In fact, in, in elementary, middle school, I had to go to counseling for it, just this crippling anxiety. And um, one of the the um, the ways that anxiety has manifested itself in my life, <clears throat> even though I've joked about it a lot, is through flying, through getting on airplanes. And what I've never told you is the reason that is when I was 14 years old, I was on a plane and I got sick on the plane. And, and as a result of that, basically at 14, I was like, I will never step foot on a plane again as long as I live. I, like, I literally I was like, I don't care what job I have, I'll never do it. But I met Jesus 20 years old and a few years later, I began to step on planes again. But here's what I always did. And I don't know if anybody's ever flown with me and seen this. I always wore this motion sickness patch on my ear just in case. This is like a catch-all, you know, like just in case I get sick again. So I put on this motion sickness patch, and everywhere I'd go, I'd wear it. And, you know, it has all these, like, terrible, like, side effects. It's like, I don't care. Like, I never want to have that happen again. And last week, when I uh, flew to, to North Carolina, I didn't wear the patch. And I didn't think about this until this week, but I thought to myself, you know what? That may seem like a really small thing to you. But you know what's happening in that moment? Jesus has been conforming me more into his image. He's replacing fear with faith. He's replacing anxiety with peace. 
I'm seeing the fruit of the Spirit. Not as quick as I would like, necessarily. But Jesus is being faithful. As I am following after him, he is transforming me more, slowly but surely, into his image. And listen, the same can be said for you. No matter who you are, where you come from, or how much baggage you bring in here today, you can. Discipleship is messy. It is hard. It takes time. But I'm telling you guys, it's worth it. Because when you truly decide to follow after Jesus, to take him at his word, even when it doesn't make sense, and seek to apply this to your life, you will, through the Spirit, be able to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and eventually do the things that Jesus did. And as a result, then and only then, can you begin to experience the life that you are longing for and that you were created to experience. As we end this morning, here's what I want to do. The same thing we do every morning, but I want you to listen carefully. We're going to partake of communion. We have two stations in the front, two stations in the back. If you're a disciple of Jesus, I want to invite you into this. And here's what I want you to remember. As you come and you tear off a piece of bread and you dip it in the juice, I want you to be reminded that the reason you are able to now enter fully into the presence of God is because at the cross, Jesus was cast out of the presence of God for you. Jesus Christ walked the way perfectly because he knew that none of us could. Jared Pickney can't walk the way perfectly. Adam Breckenridge can't walk the way. Luke Martin, you can't walk the way perfectly. None of us can. Jesus came and walked the way perfectly. He lived a sinless life we could never live. And then he went to a cross. And at the cross, you know what he did? Literally, at the cross, he suffered in our place. He was treated by God the way we deserve to be treated for our sin. So that when we trust in him for all eternity, we can be treated the way Christ deserves to be treated for his righteousness. And Jesus, when he went to the cross, he died for us. And he didn't just stay dead. Three days later, Romans 8 says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he raised from the dead. The same spirit that empowered him to live the life that he lived, empowered him to be raised from the dead. And then Jesus gave us this promise. Hey, you know what? I'm going to go back and be with my father. And that's actually better for you because I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. So that now you can be empowered. So that you can have full access to the empowering presence of God. You can stand before him holy, blameless, and accepted. And know that you have everything that you need to live the life that I'm calling you to for your good and my glory.